You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. chapter 19 is where we're going to be. I'm going to teach on something this morning that I honestly never thought that I would teach on. Um, I actually uh, shamelessly didn't think it was that relevant of a topic um, for a long time, and, and up until today I've never taught on it. Uh, but I'm going to teach today on the topic of singleness. And before you as a married person is like, oh, are you kidding me? Like singleness, what in the world does that have to do with me? And just kind of like tune out or get on your phone and check Facebook and all that. Um, I just want to tell you, I actually think this topic has a lot to do with every single one of us. Um, one, this is an important topic because the Bible is clear that the church is the body of Christ. And so that means we're all members of one another. And what you do impacts me and what I do impacts you. And so if you're single... You need to have a good theology and a good understanding of what a godly biblical marriage looks like so you can help hold us accountable to that as married couples. And then for those of us who are married, we need to have a good theology and understanding of what singleness looks like according to Jesus so that we can help hold single people here accountable and encourage them and, and uplift them and equip them and do the best we can. So um, singleness matters to you for that reason if you're married. Another reason it matters is because statistically speaking, half of us in this room will be single again one day. You ever thought about that? Uh, whether because of death of a spouse or divorce, you're going to go through another season of singleness in your life. And I think it's far better to be proactive than reactive, to actually think, not if, but when that season comes, um, what does Jesus have to say about it? And then lastly, what I would say is there are like a gazillion kids and crossing kids every single week. And so um, that means that you are discipling singles in your household right now, parents. And it's better for you, as one parent was pointing out after the first service, it's better for you to know kind of what that season of singleness can behold for them, what Jesus expects for them now, rather than waiting until that season whenever they're actually dating and you have no idea uh, really how to navigate those waters. And so um, there's a lot that can be said on this topic. I will say this. The best book I know of that's a really short read, you probably read it in 45 minutes or so, is this book by Sam Alberry, who is a single dude, and it's called The Seven Myths of Singleness. If somebody is single in here and you want to dive more into this, you can grab my copy or we'll order you one. Uh, we'll be happy to do that, but I uh, wanted to make sure you were aware of that resource. So all that being said, Matthew chapter 19 is where we will start this morning. Um, let's look at Matthew 19, starting in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for everyone here in the room, single, married, young, old. We all come in here in different places, in different seasons, and I just pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will take this topic that today is about singleness, 
but that you will apply it to every single one of us because this is a message that is applicable to every one of us. And so I pray that you will do what only you can do, that you'll take the word and you'll take it from just being words that are spoken that fall to the ground, that you'll drive them into our hearts. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, in the 2005 blockbuster movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Andy Stitzer, who is played by Steve Carell, is a nerdy, simple-minded, action-figure-collecting paper pusher for an electronic company who, get this, despite being 40 years old, has never had sex. And if you've watched the movie, you know that throughout the entire film, Stitzer is told by his friends and strangers alike that if you actually want to go from being this pathetic, childlike man to becoming a true, real man, there is one thing and one thing only you must do. And that is, you must have sex. And if you've watched the movie, you know that eventually, uh, by the end of it, after 40 years of not having sex, uh, Carell's character loses his virginity, and the movie supposedly ends happily ever after. I think of a similar movie... Uh, from the 1990s, starring heartthrob Josh Hartnett. Anybody seen 40 Days and 40 Nights that wants to admit it here? Okay, a couple of you. Fantastic. I also went uh, and saw that in high school. No judgment, right? And so um, I think the tagline says it all. One man is about to do the unthinkable. No sex whatsoever for 40 days and 40 nights. So Josh Hartnett, you are so courageous. Two different comedies... But one very serious underlying belief that is widespread in our culture today, and here's the belief, you cannot experience a fulfilling life apart from sex. That's the belief in our culture. And it's why, uh, as one sociologist has pointed out, romance in the West has now become the new religion. I think of the song, Take Me to Church by Hozier which was released in 2015 and reached number one on the U.S. billboard. And if you've ever heard the song, he literally is singing it to a lover of his, and he is telling this lover how whenever he is in the bedroom with this person, he feels like he's going to church. And he actually talks about how God has gotten old, religion has gotten old, and now new fulfillment is found in romance. There's a lot more examples I could share from our culture, but the point I want to make is this this morning. From movies to music, from advertisements to social media, here's a story that you are all and I am being fed every single day. It is the idea that romance is the solution. It is the cure-all to your deepest aches and loneliness. And therefore, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be satisfied, well, you need to clearly get into a romantic relationship with another man or a woman. And if that doesn't put enough pressure on you to try to find a significant other, then you come into a church service like this and you are told, actually, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be known, belong, and be loved, not only do you need to find a significant other, but you need to hop into a romantic relationship that actually ends in marriage. And so the question you have to ask yourself then is, okay, well, what do I need to do to get married? And that's a complicated question because depending on who you ask will depend on the answer you get. And so some people will tell you, well, if you're going to get married, you just have to get to this place where you're perfectly content with just you and Jesus, as if anybody in human history has ever been just perfectly content with just them and Jesus. And then you just sit back and you wait, and because you're content with Jesus, then God will send you the perfect spouse. That's what some people will tell you. Others will tell you, no, you don't need to sit back and wait. You need to be proactive. So you need to find a group with other singles 
right? So that you can maybe like mingle in and eventually like, you know, try to spark up some sort of interest in relationship. Or you're to download a dating app. And since you're a Christian, you get a Christian dating app, of course, right? Like eHarmony or Christian Mingle. And that's what you do. And eventually like God will kind of direct your path and honor your efforts. And so it's really kind of, we get these mixed messages and it can be really confusing. And then you open up your Bible and it actually, the scriptures almost seem to add to the confusion. I think about that line in Genesis 2 where God says to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And so then what did he do as a response? He created for him a wife. But then you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'll just read this for you. By the way, I'm reading today from the the NIV translation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says the following, starting or chapter 7, starting in verse 6, he says the following. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you, how many of you? I wish that all of you were as I am. Now, how was Paul? Single. I wish all of you were single like me, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. He's talking about marriage. And then another has that gift. Talking about singleness. Now, verse 8, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is actually for your good to stay unmarried as I do. So, Genesis 2, it's not good for you to be alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's good for you to be single. So which one is it? Am I supposed to get married? Am I supposed to remain single? I mean, like, what exactly is going on here? And fortunately, I think Jesus provides some clarity for us in Matthew chapter 19. So I want you to look back here in Matthew 19 at my attempt to try to lay some sort of uh, some sort of a framework around this idea of singleness and why it is actually a gift rather than a curse. And just set the context for you in Matthew 19, Jesus, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is having a debate with some Pharisees who are actually some very liberal thinkers in their day around this idea of marriage. And what they were teaching is you can get divorced for any and every reason. If you're a man, if you're a woman, you can't divorce your man, but your man can divorce you. And so uh, one rabbi literally was teaching, if your wife burns the toast, you should divorce her. Okay. Now, they're starting to pick up on the fact that probably Jesus doesn't line up with that. So they ask him in uh, Matthew chapter 19, they ask the question in verse 3, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every and any reason? To which Jesus then responds by telling a story, because he knows we're a story form people, and he begins to tell the Pharisees um, a story dating back to creation about who God is and what he's done and how that shapes who we are and how we live. And then look at verse 6. In light of all of that, Jesus says, therefore, to answer your question, should a man or woman get divorced, the question, the answer to that question, verse 6, what God has joined together in marriage, no one should separate. In other words, when you hop into marriage, as we've been talking about, you don't go in there, it's like, like you're signing a contract that if you like do everything you should be, then I'll stay with you. You go into marriage as this covenantal relationship that says, I will be as I should be to you, even if you're not going to be as you should be to me. So marriage, what Jesus teaches and the rest of scripture teaches is about this, these two people coming together and sharing one life as one flesh until death do them part. Now here's what's funny. The disciples upon hearing this, and I'd never noticed this verse before, in verse 10, because they're picking up on how serious Jesus is taking this whole marriage thing, in verse 10 they respond by saying this, Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. (laughs) Which I think is just funny. It's like they're, they're being serious. 
And I imagine whenever they said this, they probably thought Jesus was going to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You misunderstand me. It's always better to get married than to not be married. And that's what they're thinking he's going to say. But instead, Jesus doubles down. Because in verse 11, he says, well, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. In other words, not everyone needs to live the married life. Because it requires a certain aptitude and grace and energy and level of commitment, marriage, Jesus says, is not for everyone. And then, because it just makes perfect sense, Jesus says, now let's talk about eunuchs. Which, if you don't know what a eunuch is, it's literally an emasculated man. A man who could not reproduce because his male parts have been cut off. And so, here we go, Jesus. Let's talk about eunuchs. Verse 12, he says this. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and that would make sense, like they would have, like people listening to this would have known, like, yeah, okay. But now what Jesus does, he's going to introduce a third and unexpected category that's never been heard of of eunuchs. He says, and there are also eunuchs. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs, meaning not that there are some people who are going to choose to live as eunuchs by literally castrating themselves, But what every scholar agrees is what Jesus is saying here is that there will be some who will and should choose a life of celibacy. There are some who will and should choose to live within their limits of singleness. And why? Well, Jesus says, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For the sake of having a greater eternal impact in the lives of others. And so if you think about the three categories and you kind of bring it to modern day language, here's what Jesus is saying. There are those who need to be single and celibate because they were born that way. And what pretty much anyone would agree on that uh, reads the scripture is that what the kind of the way this translates to our culture is there are some who maybe because of a birth defect or some who maybe because they were born with the same sex attraction and, and, and they don't actually, they're not attracted to the opposite sex. Because of this, there are some who need to remain single. Then there are others, right, who don't, who aren't uh, single by birth. There are some who were made this way. And so in our culture today, these are people who have been divorced. And maybe they don't feel like they have a biblical grounds to remarry. Or these are someone, uh, maybe someone who has experienced the death of a spouse. Or maybe they're in a waiting season and they hope to be married again, but Mr. or Mrs. Wright has not come along yet. So there are those who are single by birth, those who are made single. And then Jesus says there's a third category for singleness. And these are the people who choose to be single, who will choose to be celibate because by doing so, they will actually be able to greater give themselves away more fully to the kingdom of God. There are people, Jesus says, who will choose and should choose to be biologically fruitless so you can be spiritually fruitful. Now, as crazy as that sounds to you and me, it was even crazier to those who would have heard this in the first century because the Pharisees would have been very familiar with the Old Testament and they would have been very familiar with the story of Abraham where God came in Genesis 12 to Abraham and said, I want you now as a human to partner with me into making this world right and the way that we're going to bring and we're going to advance my kingdom is through you, Abraham, and your wife having a bunch of kids. It's through you having so many descendants that they outnumber the stars. And through that way, right, you are actually going to be able, right, to impact the world. And so people listening to this would have known that. They would have known that in the Old Testament it was considered to be a blessing if you were married and you had kids. And you were expected to be cursed if you were single and didn't have kids. So in the Old Testament, up until we come to Matthew 19, right, people would have had no vision for singleness. People who were single would have been considered as dead weight. In the kingdom of God. 
And yet Jesus comes on the scene and he redeems singleness. And he shows us how beautiful it is. And he says, actually, I know that you thought that being single is a curse, but it's actually a gift. Because when you are single, you have a chance to be more devoted to the kingdom of God. Therefore, Jesus says in Matthew 19, at the end of it, verse 12, the one who can accept this should accept it. I wonder this morning, have you ever thought about this? Imagine you decided this week to go have coffee with Jesus. And you went up to him and you said, hey, Jesus, how's it going? And he'd say, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm the Lord of everything, so it's going all right, you know? And, um, and you said, hey, Jesus, I have a problem. I, I got on Instagram this morning or Facebook, and all my friends are married. And uh, or they all have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and all my friends at school. And I'm just, I'm really lonely, and I feel like I'm falling short, and I'm missing out. I'm kind of like this junior member in the body of Christ. And I'm just wondering, Jesus, like, what should I do about that? What Jesus would say is, what do you do about that? Well, first, you realize that singleness actually is a gift. You realize that your singleness can be a blessing, that if you can accept this season as a blessing, however long it may be, I will actually use you in ways that you could barely even imagine. I wonder in light of that, for some of you here today, have you ever even considered that maybe singleness is for you? Like, have you ever even considered, honestly, that a life of singleness may be for you. Now, I want to make this clear because I didn't in the first service. If you're married, guess what the answer to that question is? <laughs> so I talked to a, uh, a couple after it was over, and the couple's like, I'm going to apply that message today. I received that word, Pastor. Singleness is for me. And I was like, nope, I don't think it applies to you. So I want to be clear on that. But have you ever, if you're in a season of singleness, whether it's because your spouse died or because you've gone through divorce, or maybe you're a teenager or a college student or whatever, you're in your 30s, you've never been married before, have you ever considered that singleness may be for you? The word for accept that Jesus uses in verse 12 here is a philosophical term that means to make space for. And so when Jesus says the one who can't accept this teaching on singleness should accept it, what he is saying is just this, none of us should rush past this teaching. But rather, we, do, we, we need to create space to consider what the possibilities of singleness present to us. So with that in mind, to be obedient to Jesus, though I would have probably never chosen to teach on this, apart from the Spirit leading on my heart, here's what I want to do. I want us to create space quickly this morning to consider three things or three opportunities that singleness presents to us, okay? Or that singleness presents to your child or to our friends or our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is this, is that when you are single, you have a greater opportunity than anybody else to devote yourself to God. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world and how she can please her husband. I just want to say this real quick today. Singleness is really hard, but so is marriage. Like if you're single, you're going to have concerns, but you are as well in marriage. That's what Paul is saying here. And therefore he says this, verse 35, I am saying this for your own good. He's like, listen to me, this is for your own good, please listen. I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, 
but that you may live in a right way. And look at this phrase, in undivided devotion to the Lord. When you are in a season of singleness, for whatever reason, teenager, college student, older, whatever the reason, death, divorce, what you need to realize is you are in a season of singleness, not simply to make space for your own thing. You are in a season of singleness so that you can make space to experience more of God, so that he can do a greater work in you and through you. That's what's behind this word devotion here. And I want you to get this because the disciples were all called to be devoted to God. Here's what Ben Stewart says about devotion. He says, the word devotion in the Greek is the combination of two concepts, the word good or well and the phrase to be close beside. It suggests both a passive element of sitting and listening to someone and an active element of tending to his or her desires. A great English word that captures this meaning is the word attentive. Think of a good waiter at a restaurant. He is both attentive, or he's attentive in both of these respects. He's attentive to your words, listening carefully as you speak. He is also attending to your wishes, working hard to fulfill your desires. We are meant, listen to this, guys, as disciples of Christ. We are meant to be attentive to the Lord in the same way. Devotion expresses itself in attentiveness to his word and attending to his work, study and service, the pursuit of intimacy with him and activity that pleases him. That being said, in a season of singleness, more than this is a time to live it up, God has ordained this unique freedom in this season of singleness for you to fully devote yourself to God. This is what Paul is saying. And what this means for some of you is, listen, you need to shut the radar down. You need to stop trying to scan the room, stop walking through the hallways, just looking for someone to notice you, who you can hook up with, or that you can be boyfriend or girlfriend with. Because when you do this, literally, what Paul says, you are dividing your devotion between that person and Christ. And you are actually missing out on the life that God has for you. You're missing out. And the way that this works, I think, in our church context is, you know, maybe you walk in on a Sunday morning because you're like, I need to be here on Sunday morning. It's important to worship God as a Christian. And so you come in here and you have every intent on worshiping God with your whole heart. But then you get here and you notice all these married couples and they're walking around. And they look so happy, right? Because we're always smiling when we're here at church because that's what you do, you know? And, and you look and all of a sudden you just feel this ache of loneliness. And you're like, man, I, I'm kind of left out here. Like I'm on the margins. I'm in the minority. And so here's what happens. All of a sudden you, uh, you start thinking about that guy or girl that you've been interested in. Maybe one that you went on a date with even a couple of nights before, but you haven't heard about ever since. So all of a sudden you're like, well, let me just check my text message, see if maybe he or she's texted me back yet. Nope. All right, let me check my messenger. Nope. And now all of a sudden the band's firing up. Bless the Lord on my soul. But you're sitting there thinking about, I wonder if something's wrong with my profile picture. I wonder if I just need to update that. Like, I wonder if maybe, like, I need to change my wardrobe or something. And so you're trying to worship, trying to get that whole thing going on, but your attention's divided. Or maybe you walk into a room like this, and you're a single guy or a single gal, and all of a sudden you notice that cute person of the opposite sex, and, and you think, you know what, they're up there about three rows, I think I'm just going to skew it up a few rows, put myself in front of them. But now all of a sudden you realize you're in a predicament, because you don't know their religious background. So you don't know if they're like Bethel Charismatic. And they're going to be expecting you to lie arms in the air. Or if they come from a more conservative background and they're just kind of... And so you don't really know, right? So you're trying to think, how do I worship the Lord in this moment? So again, like, you're distracted. Your devotion is divided. And what Paul is just saying here is, listen, as tempting as this is, stop scanning the room just for a season. Stop 
seeing your, your singleness as a necessary evil, devote yourself to the Lord, and look at the season as a time where you can remove the distractions after your mind and go after God with your entire heart. And know, listen, that when we do this, for everybody, married singles, listen, when we go after God with our own heart, you realize we are going after the one who alone can satisfy the deepest desire of your soul. True. The one who alone, who through his church, can give you the intimacy and the companionship and the security and the family that you are longing for. The reality is, in our culture, we have made an idol out of sex. We've made an idol out of romance and marriage, and therefore we have begun to believe the lie. Not that sex is a good thing and marriage is a bad thing and romance romance is a good thing, but we've actually turned a good thing into making it a God thing. And therefore, we have begun to believe this lie that, man, if I could just find the right person, the right gal, then I will be fulfilled. And the truth is, guys, you could marry, and gals, you could marry the hottest person with all the right credentials, have crazy wild sex with them every single night, and you still would not be fulfilled apart from Christ. You won't. Despite what Jerry Maguire says, there is nobody out there apart from Jesus who can complete you. He alone is the one who can give us what we need. Therefore, let me just say this to you again. Teenagers, Young, old, if you find yourself in a season of singleness for whatever reason, I just want to encourage you to do this for just a season. Just a season. Consider, consider for a season saying that maybe this is a time in my life where God wants me more than ever before to devote myself fully to him. And so use your time that you have in the scripture, in prayer, get involved in a missional community, get in the DNA, practice the spiritual disciplines, go and find somebody. If you're a young lady, find you another woman or young man, find you a man, whatever, and say, would you disciple me? Would you pour into me? Would you help me to grow in this certain area of my life? And if you will do this, I think not overnight, but over time, you will begin to understand as you're abiding in the vine and you're experiencing relationship with God, like David, you'll be able to say, man, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've got everything I need because I've got him. Like the Apostle Paul who's single, I've learned to be content in all seasons of life. This truly is possible no matter who you are, or where you come from, or what your situation is. It really is possible. And I think if you will take this seriously in this season, you'll be amazed at how God's empowering presence will flow in you and through you. And as a result, he will do things in you that's greater than you can imagine. So that's the first thing. Now much uh, quicker, moving on to number two, what I would say is singleness is not only an opportunity for you to devote yourself fully to God, but it also presents a unique opportunity for you to make a genuine difference in the world. I'm going to say something, and if you're married and have kids, you're going to get it, and if you're single, you're going to think I'm using hyperbole, and I'm not. But here's the reality. When you get married, particularly whenever you have children, whatever pockets of margin you have will disappear into a black hole of obligation. I was like, "Ah." (laughs) but as a young single, you have more time than anyone else in the world. Do you realize as a young single person, you have more freedom than children? You really do. Children have less responsibility, but they have also way less autonomy. You have more freedom than children. You have more freedom than elderly people because though they're maybe uh, single because of a death of a spouse, they don't have the physical resources or energy necessarily anymore. You have more freedom than married people. You certainly have more freedom than, than people with kids. And so I would just encourage you, if you are single, especially single without kids, uh, without kids you need to realize that, that you have right now, you have right now an unprecedented amount of time that is in a dwindling season of your life. And God has given you this freedom and this time to use it for his purpose. 
I was reading this quote this past week, and it blew my mind. Philip Sambadi said, uh, said this. Philip Sambadi is a guy who's written a lot of stuff around the role of men in society. And he says, the average person, by the time they turn 21, has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours. You know the 10,000 hour rule? Have you heard of that? You can be an expert at anything if you do it for 10,000 hours. Guys, the world is on fire. The world is broken. We have war. We have slavery. We have addiction. We have injustice. We have crippling poverty. All of this even happening right here in our city. And we need someone to rise up with the compassion of Jesus in their heart, to put the video games away, to find their place in the body of Christ, and to hold their hands against the wounds of the world. We desperately need this. The world awaits for us, not to wait for people to come here, but for us to go to them. And we are living in a generation right now that is defined more than ever, uh, than ever before by FOMO. You know what FOMO is? About the fear of missing out. And I just want to right now, uh, in the name of Jesus, cast out FOMO out of every one of you. <laughs> I want to speak FOSO over you instead, which is the fear of squandering your opportunities. Like, I want to plead with you to please not build your life on things that will be in a junkyard a hundred years from now. To not waste your vision and your energy and your passion on trivialities. I want to encourage you to, to stop believing the lie, teenager, especially you, that you have to be older to be used by God. To stop believing the lie that you need more money or you need more this or need more that. But I want to encourage you right now to give your whole heart to Jesus and his kingdom for the purpose of making a difference in the world. And a lot of that a question I want to ask for every single one of you in the room today is this. Do you have a vision for your life? Like, where are you going? What are you giving yourself to? Are you serious about a cause that Jesus is serious about? What breaks your heart? What are you giving yourself to? The truth is God rearranges history around the people who have his heart and respond to the needs around them. So Jesus wants you to create space for this. He wants you to create space to devote yourself fully to him. He wants you to create space so that you can make a genuine difference in the world. And then lastly, I would say this. He wants you to create space so that you can discover yourself. So that you can discover your true self. From my experience, and this is so sad, but there are a lot of people who are walking around right now with such a fragile identity. A very shallow sense of self because they are spending so much time on image management and climbing the corporate ladder and making themselves attractive in the eyes of others. They have no idea who they really are. And I would encourage you in this season of singleness to figure all of that out. To figure that, to discover your gifts and your personality and your motivated abilities. Soren Kierkegaard says this, Now with God's help, I will become myself. Did you know that's God's plan for your life? To help you become the most unique, beautiful expression of who he made you to be in Christ. And yet in our culture, the temptation right now is not to be whoever Christ wants me to be, but to be whoever my partner wants me to be. To do whatever I can to not lose that boyfriend or girlfriend, even if it means losing myself in the process. And so a question, a lot of that I would just ask you, and again, whether you're married or single, Here's a question for you. Do you know who you are? you have any idea who you are? Do you own your own faith? Do you have a deep sense of being known and loved as a child of God? And therefore, can you move through this world with confidence despite opposition and rejection? Or if you can be honest, are you fragile? Are you a chameleon? 
Are you a different person around different people because you are so afraid of rejection? Sometimes God will call you into a season of singleness to show you who you really are. And that's a good thing. And I would just say this, you'll never really find out who you are apart from finding out who you are in the love of Jesus. I don't know, um, how many of you in here remember the Sons of Thunder out of the Bible? Anybody ever heard of the Sons of Thunder? I love that name. Makes me think of ACDC, like Thunder. Oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, my wife's shaking her head at me, like, no. Nope. Tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so... Uh, they come into ministry, the sons of thunder, and they get everything wrong, like every single thing they get wrong. And so um, there's one point where they're with Jesus and they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Like, who does that? Like, that just seems like a no-duh type statement. There's another time where um, they're so scared to talk to Jesus about something that's on their heart, they ask their mom to go talk to Jesus on their behalf. And so that's, that's, uh, that's no bueno. And so, and then you... You also have this scene where Jesus goes into a village and the people reject him and they're like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like, you know, the same heaven you just came from to save those people. You want us to call down fire from that heaven to destroy them? Want us to, huh? Right? And so it's just this really, really awkward dynamic. And yet one of the sons of thunder, John, has a complete and utter identity shift. And it happens kind of towards the end of Jesus's life where like a total crisis is about to break out. Jesus just told Judas, you're about to betray me. He said to Peter, uh, I know you don't think you're going to deny me, but you're going to deny me three times. And while all this is going on, there's just kind of this throwaway verse in John 13, 23, where it says that, that John, the sons of thunder, John rest his head on Jesus's chest. He rest his head on Jesus's chest. And what we then discover as we read the rest of the Gospels is because John took the time in the middle of this crisis to abide in the love of Jesus, the son of thunder's identity was converted to an apostle of love. And you see about this, and you read, you read the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. I mean, the love of Christ changed his life in such a way that he began to move forward in an incredible amount of courage and boldness and purpose. It set the trajectory for the rest of his life. And so Jesus says, therefore, in Matthew 19, if you can make space for this, you should probably do it because it's going to bear a tremendous amount of fruit in your life. That being said, I want to end with a couple real quick implications. And I want to say this again to the married couples. Thank you for being patient and listening. I do pray that you take things from this and apply it. But I want to speak specifically to the single person before we end. I want to say this. For some of you, maybe you're in here and you're single and you're thinking, oh man, yeah, like Jared, I totally believe that. I just need someone to hold my hand while I figure it out. I just want to say to you this, there is nothing worse than compromising relationally. Nothing. Being lonely and in a bad marriage out of desperation or disobedience is far worse than being lonely and single. Uh, the, The... the amount of carnage and destruction that I have seen and I know other pastors here have seen as a result of people getting married out of loneliness or disobedience, I mean, it's unbelievable. And so I would encourage you, do not, if you're in a season of singleness, do not compromise yourself relationally, please. Secondly, I would just say this, if you are single, rather than seeing this as something you've been subjected to, like you are a victim, I want to encourage you to gain a vision of possibility to realize that Jesus himself was single for a reason. 
because Jesus knew it was an opportunity for him to devote more fully to God and to make a difference in the world as he was growing more and more in his true identity, which is rooted in the love of the Father for him. And so in light of that, I just want to say this. Um, I'm sorry to the singles that we have not probably put more attention into you as, than what we should. Um, it's very easy because you're in somewhat of the minority in our church for you to be overlooked um, by me, and I apologize for that. And I want you to say this, that um, you are not second class. And God sees you and he loves you. And you are of incredible value to this church, no matter how old you are. And we need you here. We need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your leadership. We need your personality. We need your creativity. We need you to embrace God's vision for this season of singleness in your life, no matter how long it may be, for your good, for the good of the world, and ultimately for the glory of God. To transition to communion, I want to say this. Whether you're married or not, all of us are called to see Jesus as our Lord and our lover. All of us are called to see him as our salvation and our satisfaction. And so I would just ask you, if you were single yourself, would Jesus be enough for you? Because he is. And I would encourage you today, if you've never fully surrendered your heart to him, to do that. One day, whether we're married or not, we all will stand before the Lord single. I don't know if you realize that. Like, you're not going to ride in on the faith of your spouse or on my faith or someone else's faith. We will all stand before God single. And here's the good news of the gospel. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you are trusted in him, you will be swept up, the Bible says, as his bride. And you'll be radiant, and you'll be beautiful, and you'll be spotless and without blemish. And then we will experience the true consummation of the universe, which the Bible says is the marriage supper of the Lamb.